Well, good morning. We're glad that you guys are with us today. And no, I'm not Brandon Hatfield. I'm much better looking. Yeah, there we go. There we go. No, but Brandon will be back with us next week, and I cannot be happier. I love listening to that guy preach. Well, we've been doing this series throughout the summer called Retro Summer. And we've been taking a look at uh, things back in the 80s and 90s. And if you were here last week, Ben Woods did a great job preaching. And he started off talking, giving you the definition of what retro was. Because some of us maybe have kind of questioned about, man, we haven't gone back that far. And uh, he said, well, the, you know, retro is looking to the, the uh, recent past. Now, some of us might be a little bit more vintage than others. Now, I know I'm the vintage person on staff. I'm the old guy. And so I was going to keep it retro, but I went all the way to the line, all the way back to when I was a graduate of high school, 1981. Yeah, that's getting back there. And I was so excited. Some buddies of, of mine and our youth minister at church, we were going to go to the movies. And I was excited because I was going to see a movie that I hadn't seen, Star Wars. Now, it had come out in 1977, and I can't remember the reason uh, that I didn't go see it. I had never seen Star Wars. And so when they re-released it in 1981, summer of 1981, I was all excited, so we were going to go. And we got to the theater, and back then, you know, you only had those theaters and maybe had like four movies or whatever. So we get up in line, we get our ticket, and we go to get our tickets, and Star Wars is sold out. And I'm looking around at all these people that have tickets to Star Wars, and all I can think, are you bunch of nerds? You have seen this thing probably 20 times already, and now you're coming, they're all dressed up like the Star Wars characters, and I'm like... You've already seen it. Why can't I get a chance to see it? So I was bummed. And so our youth minister comes with this idea. Hey, there's another movie here we can go see. And I'm like, what is it? He's like, they got tickets available. It's something about the ark. And I'm like, the ark? Well, no wonder there's tickets available. It's about the Bible. I don't want to go see something about the Bible. And it's like, no, no, no. It's not, it's not like Noah's ark. It's the ark of the covenant. Oh, yeah, that makes it much better. I can't wait to go see that. Well, we go in and we get our tickets and I'm bummed and I'm sitting, we're all kind of just bummed out and we're pouting. And then the opening scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Do you remember that? And I mean, by the end of that scene, we're all on the edge of our seats. And I mean, when the movie was over, we were exhausted. I mean, we were living everything that Indiana Jones was thrown at. And we loved, loved that movie. Now, here's something I know. Anyone who loves Jesus loves his word. Now, the reason I talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark, as I was thinking about the movies and the times that we're in right now, based upon some of the movies of the past, Raiders of the Lost Ark came to me because it was this quest to try to find the Ark of the Covenant because everyone at that day and age knew that the Ark of the Covenant was the 
center of the source of power of God. And if you had the Ark of the Covenant, you were harnessing the power of God. Now the Nazis, the Germans, that's what they wanted. It's based in like in 1936 throughout the beginning of the World War II, and they were searching for the ark so that they could harness God's power for world domination. Now, Indiana Jones, on the other hand, he was an artifact collector. He was an archaeologist. He loved finding treasures so that he could study them and maybe sell them and maybe make some money. And so he was looking for the ark, trying to keep it at bay from the Germans, but also, hey, we find the ark, we're going to be famous. You know, all of us, as I'm watching, thinking about that movie, and I'm watching the signs of the times today, I'm seeing that that's what a lot of people are doing with religion. Really, a lot of people are down on religion, even Christianity. But they want to be spiritual. But what they're trying to do is harness God's power to suit their needs. You've probably seen a little bit of that, haven't you? We all sometimes want to try to tap into God's power for our benefit. And as Indiana Jones discovered at the end of that movie, you don't mess with God's power. You respect God's power. And the people that I know that love and respect the power of God, that they know and love Jesus, They know and love the Word of God. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Word of God. That last song that was led in the the worship team. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Paul starts in Romans 12. We're going to look at three very familiar passages throughout the New Testament to kind of drill in on what we think about the Word of God. First of all, Romans 12.1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, in the Greek, that literally meant this is the most logical response. In view of what God has done, this is the most logical thing you can do. The only problem I have with that is how do you do it? How do you present your body as a living sacrifice? How is it a spiritual act of worship? Well, Paul gives us the answer in verse 2. First, he says, step one, do not be conformed to this world. And step two, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, the word conform is a construction term. Now, you've probably been around construction sites enough to know that when you talk about conform, you think, think somebody pouring concrete. Now, nobody just pours concrete out onto the ground. The first thing they got to do is make a design. And then they got to get a bunch of lumber, a bunch of two-by-fours, and fashion them together and build a form to where the concrete is poured into and sat and hardened, and then there's there's a pattern that you can see. What Paul is trying to tell us is quit letting the world make the forms. He's telling us to quit letting the world fashion and build the forms for our life. Do not let the world set the pattern for our future. From from the day you were born to this very day, the world has been trying to fashion and pattern our lives. 
And with each day that passes, those forms that they're trying to build are getting wackier and wackier, aren't they? And whether it's money, relationships, generosity, family, how we give and receive forgiveness, new buzzword is identity. There's the world's way, and then there's Jesus' way. And Paul says, do not conform to this world any longer. That's step number one. Step number two, be transformed. Now that original word is metamorpho, which we get the word metamorphosis. But what it means is to be totally and radically changed from the inside out. The thought that is behind it is, you are changed so much that you're not recognizable any longer. Now you think about some of your friends that you had in your past before you became a believer. Are you recognizable still to them? Or do they see somebody totally different? So how do we do it? Well, here's Paul's answer. By the renewal of your mind. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see, when we surrendered our life to Jesus, we thought our time of living in sin and being tempted would be over. But you guys know as well as I do that that's just simply not the case. When you give your life to Jesus, you get a brand new heart, a clean and forgiven heart heart where Jesus reigns on that throne. But the problem is for each of us, we still have the same mind, the same influences, the same order in our birth of our family, the same scars and insecurities, some of the same prejudices. Your Enneagram number hasn't changed. And probably you may have the same worldview. While our hearts have been changed when we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, we can spend the rest of our lives trying to renew our minds. To renew something is to simply take off the old and put something new on. Now for you ladies, hopefully not for you guys, but for you ladies, when you go get your manicure and pedicure, when you go get your mani-pedi, okay, do you walk in there and stick your fingers out and you've already got polish on that's been there for a while? and it's cracked, and it's fading, do you just go, hey, just slap, a, just slap some new paint on there? Do you do that? Do you stick your toes out and say, just, just layer it up? Put something new on there. No, you don't do that. What do you do? You wait for them to strip off the old and put on the new. If you just went layer after layer on those toes, we'd have some pretty funky toes, wouldn't we? What Paul's saying here is you've got to bust off the old forms that the world is trying to build around you and start building new forms based on God's word. Your footing, your foundation, it all begins and ends by standing only on the truth of God's word. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Paul says this, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the armor, or put on God's armor, so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Now, when he's saying to stand firm, he's talking about holding your ground. Don't let the devil's schemes back you down. Now, those schemes are simply methods. What are Satan's methods? Take a look at verse 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. 
You thought your problem was your boss. You thought your problem was your spouse. You thought your problem was your ex-spouse. Or maybe your pride. You thought your problem was your children. Or the coach's temper. Or the teacher that's unfair. Or your addiction. But the Bible says those aren't the problem. The problem is a spiritual one. Look what he says. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers of the dark world, and against the evil spirits in the heavenly places. It's a spiritual war that basically is a campaign of misinformation. It's a propaganda war, and it takes place in our mind. Misinformation, another word for that is simply a lie. The primary battle for the Christian walk is in our mind. Satan schemes a misinformation campaign, and he tries to exalt lies over God's truths. Now, Satan's main focus is to get you to doubt your beliefs and to believe your doubts. The enemy wants you to believe your doubts and doubt God's word. But in contrast, God wants us to stand on our beliefs and to doubt our doubts. Time after time, Paul in this passage in Ephesians 6 says to stand firm. When the forces of evil want to conform us to the patterns of this world, we got to stand firm on God's word. The problem is we got to know God's word. Sometimes we come in here on Sundays expecting to be fed God's word and it's going to last us for the rest of the week. Spiritually speaking, I think some of us come in here swinging our baby umbilical cord with our Bible on the end of it and we're expecting to be getting milk when we should be self-feeders by now. Taking on the meat of God's word. We should be doing it His way putting on the identity of Christ, which we learn about only in his word. Now, Paul goes on to talk about some pieces of the armor that talks about how we can defend it. But one of those pieces of the armor is a weapon, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You see, the word of God is our offense to fight off the schemes of the devil. Today, in this day and age, the word of God is awfully offensive, isn't it, to this world? 1 John, take a look at this. 1 John chapter 2, it says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now, these three things are the primary weapons of, a, of the enemy. They're his lures and that he comes against us with. Did you see him right there in 1 John? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the only three temptations that exist on planet Earth. That's what the Bible teaches. And the enemy is like a fisherman with a tackle box with just these three lures in it. He's got the lure of the lust of the flesh, 
the lure of the lust of the eyes, and the lure of the pride of life. And he wants to throw all, at them, all of them at us. But you see, if we know what we're being tempted with, if we can identify what the enemy is using, and by the power of God, we can overcome these things. And when you do this, you are actually renewing your mind. Now, you see, I love to fish. I love to fish for bass. And when I go fishing, I'm going to war. And I'm taking my rods. Now, listen, they ain't poles, children. They're rods, weapons of mass destruction. And I've got a lure tied to, to a different one. I don't have time to tie on. I'm ready to just get it and go. But I know that i got to have different lures. Well, Satan does the same thing. He lures us with different bait. That's why it's called a lure, because it's alluring. You know, temptation is very tempting. And that's how the lure, that's how the enemy lures us in. Now, I want to take a look at these three things. First of all, take a look at the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is a desire to feel. The lure and the lie of the enemy is, no, 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 no. You deserve to feel this way. You deserve it. The enemy lies to you and tells you that you deserve to feel a certain way. And then he lures you in with something that makes you feel good temporarily. And nine times out of ten, that temporary feeling is not a part of the will, and pre the will and design of God. Secondly, the lust of the eyes. It's the deep desire to have something that will bring you satisfaction. Something you know that you really didn't even need until you saw it. And then all of a sudden you had to have it. He says, that possession, that will satisfy me. What's it look like? Well, you're at home, you're sitting there on the internet, you're pulling up uh, Amazon, and all of a sudden you see something that you just got to have. And next thing you know, you're clicking buttons and you're buying it. We've all been there. We've all done. I can't walk into Bass Pro without having to walk out with something. I feel like I need to leave them some money so they stay open. <laughs> Amen. God bless you. But, you know, that's what happens. We feel like if I just had that, then I'll be satisfied. The problem with it, is stuff bad? No. Unless you start wrapping your identity in it. And if that, if that happens, then Satan's got you. The third thing, the pride of life, is a deep desire to be something. It's about position. It's about comparison. It's about ego. It's about overcoming insecurity. It's about the applause of men over the applause of God. The pride of life is all about retweets and likes and thumbs-ups on, on social media. Lust of the flesh is about desire, passion, and feeling. Lust of the eyes is about stuff, possession, and having it. Pride of life is about status, position, and being. These three things are all the enemy has to offer. But here's our problem. He doesn't need anything else. He's been crushing us with these, these three things for thousands and thousands of generations. Why change what's working? Here's what is important. 
We needed to know what it looks like so that we can stand up against the methods and schemes of Satan. And if you know your enemy and how they're going to attack, then you have the advantage. So this is how it happened. You go back to Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve. You take a look at how, well, let's, let's see what verse 1 says. It says, now the serpent who is the enemy was more crafty, which means conniving, than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, don't miss this, did God actually say? This is how temptation begins. Did God actually say? And whenever you're going to hear next is a lie. Notice what the serpent did. He always wants you to doubt at least three things. He's going to want you to doubt these three things. First of all, he wants you to doubt the word of God. Secondly, he wants you to doubt the work of God. And the third thing he wants you to doubt is the worthiness of God. When the whispers start coming, can you really trust the word of God? I mean, I know what the Bible says, but I mean, really, that's so outdated these days. Come on. Did God really say he wants us to fill in the blank? The enemy is hell-bent hell on us questioning God's word. He also wants us to question the work of God. He whispers, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, do you think that was really counted for you? Or one of his favorites, you know, if you really love Jesus, you'd quit doing that sin. You're not even really a Christian. The enemy wants you to doubt that when Jesus said it is finished, that his finishing work counted for everybody except you. Lastly, the enemy wants us to doubt the worthiness of God. It would sound something like this. If God really loved you, don't you think he'd take better care of you? I mean... He's not worth your worship because he's not treating you very well right now. Have you ever felt that way? You know, sometimes we can gauge attendance at church based on some of that. That's not that big a deal to come and give my gratitude to the Lord. You know, I'm doing this on my own. Well, if you want to know how to confront this, I want to give us an example, something you've probably heard of many times in the past. It's how Jesus confronted it when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. If you have your Bibles, look at Matthew chapter 4. It said, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Really? You think? The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God... Now, let, let's stop right there. Look where Satan, Satan starts. It's with Jesus' identity. Now remember, Jesus had just come from his baptism. And then he spent 40 days. He went from the mountaintop where God spoke to everybody about who his son was to now being tempted. And Satan always comes at us with these things. Condemnation because of your past. Condemnation because maybe you got some desires. Condemnation because of something you struggle with. All of these are rooted in identity. The tempter came and he said, If you are the Son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. 
Now, Jesus was fully human, and he was hungry, and he was struggling, and he was tempted because he's just like us. You see, Satan hit him with the lust of the flesh. You deserve this. You can make this happen. You're entitled. You're the son of God, right? It may help you. You know, I've probably said that. Man, I just want to grab a burger. (laughs) It'll help me feel better. Or maybe it's a bottle. Or maybe it's a pill. Or maybe it's in somebody's arms that doesn't belong to you. But how did Jesus respond? Jesus answered, it is written, Man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word. The Bible, every word matters. Take a look at verse 5. Then the devil took him to a holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, there again, he went right back to it, to Jesus' identity. Throw yourself down, for it is written. Now, you've got to know this. Most of you old folks who have been around church for a while, you understand Satan knows the Bible probably better than you do. And he knows how to twist it to suit his needs. But listen to what he said. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. That's straight out of the pride of life. He's tempting Jesus to show the means to the end. It doesn't matter how he got there. You know, sometimes it says it doesn't matter what the means are. It just matters that you get there. The the means justify the ends. But you see, Jesus didn't want to make it about himself. Jesus often said he came to serve, not to be served. He came to give his life a ransom for many. And he followed it up with, as it is written, a second time he went to the word. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus is saying, I don't have to make this about myself. I don't have to build me up. All I got to do is obey the Father and let him shake out the results. Temptation number three. You want to guess what part this, this one comes from? Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and its glory. Now look closely. The devil tips his hand. I will give you this. All you have to do is fall down and worship me. Now this is textbook, Lust of the Eyes. What's crazy is Satan's trying to offer Jesus something he's already got. He's already the ruler of over everything. But you see what... What Satan's trying to do is he's trying to shortcut. You can have all this without the suffering and the dying. I'll just give it to you. But again, Jesus said, Be gone, Satan, as it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Three temptations, three responses. In all three, Jesus responds to the lie of the enemy with the word and the truth of God. So here's my question to you. Do you have any of those it is written in your life? What is the devil twisting in your mind? What lie is he trying to anchor into you, form into your mind? Is it pride? You don't need all this. You handle it on your own. 
You got this. You don't need anybody else. Is it worthlessness? You're nothing. Deal with that. How about defeat? You're never going to get this thing right. You just keep screwing it up. Addiction. Do you hear him say, you can't get over this. You can't kick this. Is it isolation? Hey, no one cares. No one wants you. Do you hear those lies? Well, let me give you some homework. And I really want you to do this before the sun goes down tonight. I want you, at some point today, write down one or more of those lies that you know Satan's coming at you with. Which one might be the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life? Write them down. And then find a scripture that smacks it right in the face. And write that scripture down and put it somewhere in your house. And I hope you get inspired enough and you know the word of God enough that you'll have postcards and post-its all over your house, all over your car, all over your workspace, reminding you of the truth of God's word. You know, have you ever tried to make someone love, make someone you love? Have you ever tried to make someone you love love something that you love? It's hard to do. It's hard to get them excited. Well, I love the Word of God. And I hope you love the Word of God. Now, I know it's a big book. And I know there are some things in it that it's hard to understand. But the Bible promises, Jesus promises, that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit Himself, will teach us the things that we need to know when we need to know them. But we got to stay in the Word we got to start putting that in so it will spill out when the pressure comes. I put this quote up here I want you to read. God has given us His Word, the Bible, not to defeat the devil, but to remind us that the devil has already been defeated and we are standing firm on that victory. Satan's already lost. He's just trying to take people down with him. Several years ago, I was working as faculty at White Mills. I was a youth minister here. And we did this, uh, this week of camp called Deeper Life. And it was for older students, older teenagers, sophomores, juniors, and seniors that had been around the faith for a long time. And we wanted to help them grow deeper. The dean of the week was a guy named Dale Daniel. He was at Fern Creek Christian Church. And he told us, he said, this is what I want to do. I want to play a, a game that's going to last all week, 24-7. What's it going to look like? Okay, here's what's going to happen. When the kids get here on Sunday, we get them all settled in. We're going to give each one of them. Now, these are high school kids. We're going to give each one of them a plastic sword. I mean, like the whole, like the sword about this long with the seat. You know, you pull it out, the whole thing. And here's the task. Here's the game. They have to keep that sword. Now, faculty was included, too. We had to do it, too. You have to keep that sword with you 24-7. You can't go anywhere without your sword. All day long. You've got to sleep with it. You've got to go to meals with it. You've got to go to the bathroom with it. You've got to swim with it. You've got to play softball with it. It's got to be with you all the time. Now, to make things interesting, some of us staff members were granted a very large super soaker. Now, if we caught a kid without their sword, 
Now, I know it's not a flaming arrow, but there would be lawsuits, you know, if we shot arrows at kids. So a super soaker, dousing them from head to toe was the best we could do. But if we saw a kid without one, oh, I forgot I left it on my pocket. It doesn't matter. You don't have it. Now, here's the other thing. Every time you were confronted with a faculty member with a super soaker, you, you had three seconds. They'd start counting. Three, two. You had to pull your sword and quote a passage of Scripture. And if you didn't get that done in three seconds, boom, it was time to get wet. Now, it was fun for a couple of days, but man, having to carry that thing everywhere for the week, it was getting a little annoying. You know, the girls would all get dressed up at night to go to dinner and to worship. You know, they'd have their dress and their hair made up. Getting soaked (laughs) got really annoying, but we wanted to remind them, you got to have the word with you at all times. You know, I've talked to kids that have been to that week of camp. Now, that's, that's over 30 years ago, and they still think about that. You know, one of the cool things that we saw happen that we weren't prepared for? As the week progressed, we'd see a kid that forgot his sword, and one of us would be coming with a super soaker, and then another kid would draw his sword and step in the way and quote Scripture. As the kids were taking showers, there'd be a kid out in the main area of the bathroom standing guard. And he would warn them, hey, here he comes, or here she comes, and they'd have their swords ready. They would post them on at the swimming pool or on the softball field. And they would stand in the gap for those who were in need. That's love in God's word. I want you to get that visual image in your mind. Strapping a sword to your waist. God's word. And when you're confronted by one of those three schemes of the devil, can you draw your sword and say, it is written. I don't want you to leave here today without having some of those it is written. You stop by next steps. We'll give you some for whatever you're struggling with. But I hope you'll get into God's word and start adding it to your life. So when the schemes of the devil come at you, you will be ready. And maybe one day you can even stand in the gap for someone else. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that lasts forever. Thank you for the truth that could have been written just yesterday because it still holds up. And Father, most of all, thank you for Jesus that we find in the pages of your word of how much he loves us and how much he did on our behalf. Father, may your spirit lead us in the ministry of deepening our faith in the word of God. Father, we pray that we can put your word into our hearts so that we don't sin against you. Renew our minds, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We'll see you guys next week.